0: Feeling big time today. We're on site, live, at Volleyball Canada Nationals. And thanks to the wonderful staff at Volleyball Canada, we've got our own little studio space. We've got a passing time studio, Dallas. We
1: are moving up. We have designated media passes. We have a designated podcasting room. You can't hear us, but there's literally 30,000 people watching us in a glass box record this podcast. And you know what the even better thing is? They don't even know they're watching us.
0: My favorite part is we just found a local legend in the hallway who's agreed to be on the show. So so our guest today played on possibly the best club team
1: of all time. Possibly the best university team of all
0: time. He's a medalist at Canada Games.
1: He's a medalist on the OVA Beach Tour.
0: He's played in Europe and in several countries, and I can't wait to hear some of these stories.
1: Uh, German Bundesliga silver medal.
0: And now he's here coaching. And it just shows that he's definitely in love with our sport, and he's going to play a nice little demo pro match tonight. Uh, for one volleyball, so we, we've uh, we've we've scooped up a good guest here.
1: Please welcome to the show Passing times, Eric Matson.
0: <laughs>
2: welcome, Eric. Thank you, thank you guys for having me.
0: Awesome. So, uh, how was national? I guess we'll cover that as, as we're here in Toronto at uh, Youth Nationals volleyball
2: Canada. Uh, it's pretty cool. It's my first one uh, since competing in eighteen U back in two thousand eight. So being back in a big convention center like this is bringing back some some memories from my time as a, an OVA athlete. But now on the flip side, coaching a 16 uh, u Phoenix girls team. Um, we wrapped up this morning. Didn't go quietly as well as we wanted it to, but but it was a fun weekend, so a good experience overall. That's good. It's good
1: to see uh, athletes like you. And, uh, and Becky talked about this on the podcast last week of uh, just imparting your knowledge and giving back to the community. I think that's a big part. And uh, the volleyball culture needs uh, more mentors, so it's good, to, it's good to see you still involved even though... Uh, even though you're not playing anymore.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like I, I feel like with my my playing experience, it's it's good to be able to give back to the programs and the association volleyball here in Ontario. So it's been pretty cool to give my two cents here and there, and hopefully inspire a few of the younger athletes to continue to love the game and continue playing.
0: So while we're surrounded by thousands of club kids, let's let's cover it right away. So you played Toronto Blues, and, mm-hmm. and help me with the list here because it had. Yourself, Sam Schachter, Steve Hunt, Michael Amoroso.
2: Uh, Amoroso was a, a year older. A year older, okay.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, Matt Taylor was on your team. Yeah,
2: Matt Taylor, right side. Riley Tyler McAllister. Motherwell. Tyler M- Motherwell, our dark horse, <laughs> little bench guy we there. We called him
1: the quarterback at
2: you. <laughs> he went on to play
0: university, right? <laughs> he, he played and, at Waterloo. Riley McAllister went on to set. Um, Matt Pulem. Matthew Poulin was on the team as well.
2: Luka Milosevic, who played at Ed Ryerson. And Sean Cito. So, yeah, pretty close
1: friend to though.
2: same last name, <laughs> spelled a little differently,
1: <laughs> spelled and pronounced a little differently. Good, yeah.
0: good nine man player. I think played U of T his first year, maybe. I think he I think did, he did play some most played one, day.
1: maybe two, yeah, 100%. So
0: shows how deep the team was. And, of course, you were coached by uh Mike Chumley, another character in the volleyball community. So, what was that season like? Did you guys know you were legit when that team came together, or what was that season like?
2: Um, I think we we knew that we were going to be able to do something pretty special when we first came together in U17, because that was after uh, Scarborough Falcons folded, and uh, Mike Chumley was able to assemble a a pretty good team from a few different clubs, bringing guys in. So we had the few guys come from Dermatac, we had Schachter and Cito come from Aurora Storm, Snake Poulen from Barry Leeds, and then me and uh, James Hill came over from Scarborough Falcons. So we were able to put together a a pretty good squad.
0: Nice and and Uh, Not a lot of people know this about you, but when you decided to go to Alberta, you kind of had to rearrange your school schedule. What was that like in grade 12? Because I believe you started taking extra credits or night school to start to get it done just so you could go to Alberta,
2: right? Yeah, so my earlier high school uh, grades, I wasn't too into the sciences or maths. Or the reading or the school part <laughs> uh so in grade 12 actually i just left my home school and went to a, a smaller independent private school where i was able to get a few more courses done because the the phys ed, ed uh program at u of a required different high school courses as opposed to the the con ed um programs in ontario so went to this really small school no sports teams no clubs at the school so it was kind of a just put put my my nose to the grind and And get what I needed to do done in order to to go to U of A. So uh,
0: how did U of A kind of identify you and what made you really want to go to that school?
2: Um, So it would have been my U17 Nationals when we went out to um, Abbotsford, the trade X. And that year I went with our 18U team. So I was with Amoroso, Higgins, Steve Hunt was playing up on that team.
1: Was Cam Whelan on that team too? Cam
2: William was, was a year older, so he was. Oh, so he, he, was he, would, he would play when we'd go 19 year tournaments because okay. he did his fifth year high school. Um, and yeah, uh, I was fortunate enough to to have a a good a good one game that I played at that tournament, and thankfully got noticed. So when once we returned back to Toronto after the tournament, uh, my coach at U of A, Terry, contacted my coach, Mike Chumley, and just started the, the conversation there. And then December of my grade 12 year, uh, they flew me out there for a recruiting trip, check out the school, get to meet some of the the players on the team, saw a couple matches, got introduced to some of the people uh, on the education side of it. And uh, probably about 45 minutes to an hour after I got home from the airport, I uh, called Terry and said, if, if I get accepted, I want to I wanna play for you.
1: That's pretty wild because it, it seems now that because the volleyball world is a little bit smaller, you see more kids going to different provinces and different universities. But you were sort of one of the few guys that went and will say and stayed. Because there's a few guys before you that, that went to different provinces. TJ being one of them. Taylor Hunt was another player who went uh, who went up west. But you you did all five years at Alberta. You stayed and and uh, I think you set the groundwork for a little uh, we'll say interprovincial recruiting.
2: Yeah, I felt like when once I was out there on my recruiting trip and then the two previous years so my grade uh 10 and 11 years nationals CIS nationals was held at McMaster. So that was kind of my first taste of the best university programs in the country and I just, I really wanted to be on one of those teams and be able to play at nationals year in year out. And um so once I got to meet the, the coaching staff out there and, and all the players, I, I knew that was good, would be a good fit for me. And uh, thankfully, it worked out as well as it did and was able to have a really, really good experience there for, for five seasons.
1: So all your years at broadcasting school really are starting to pay off because that was a good segue into your first year where you did win a CIS National Championship on home court. Can you tell us a little bit about that and... Uh you know, people see you now, Who you know, you played pro for so many years, you, you were CIS at of the year, but your first year, you weren't, we'll say the guy, you were coming off the bench. How did, uh, how did you, you know, come into that role and, and, and you were on the court actually when they won gold, so take us through that.
2: Uh, so yeah, so that year, uh, we had a, a fourth year libero, Tyler Moroniak, really s- solid, stable player. And um Right from the get-go, I got to play a few matches in in preseason. Uh, Tyler had an unfortunate little injury, got a concussion. So my first taste of university volleyball was when Alberta had used to have the Can-Am Challenge. So the first three games I ever played as a as a Golden Bear was against Stanford, USC, and uh, and an East Coast American college. So guys like the Shoji brothers played against them. Paul Carroll and Pepperdine. Um, so once I played against those high level players, I, I knew that I was going to be in a good spot to, to grow. And thankfully, I had a guy like Tyler who was in his fourth year, and I just took that as a year to learn from him. He'd been around the university game for, for a few years, so I just wanted to be able to soak in as much information and knowledge from him as possible to transition into the, the starting role, which I was uh, able to, to get in my second season.
0: So you being a Can West guy, obviously that's one of the most competitive, if not the most competitive, conference. Uh, what could, kind of stood out to you as far as like the level of ball and the travel you would have to do versus in Ontario? It feels like we play somebody Friday, we might play somebody different Saturday. Like in Can West, you you play doubleheaders the whole way. You got to get on a plane sometimes. Like what was that like playing against good teams every weekend?
2: Um, I think the fact that we had to go all the way from Vancouver to to Winnipeg. Um, like you said, we had to play the same team back to back nights and with across the board all the way top to bottom having competitive teams, the amount of prep you could put in for the game one and then go over that video, go over the stats, see what works, see what didn't and prepare an even better game plan for game two. But then that goes both ways that your opponent can do just the same. So it always made for interesting uh, double headers every weekend. And uh with being in in Edmonton the only schools we would drive to were University of Calgary, uh, Regina and Saskatchewan. So other than those three because Mount Royal and Grant McEwen weren't Canada West yet, um, every other trip we were we were leaving Thursday afternoon, flying out, playing Friday night, Saturday night and then flying back to Edmonton Sunday. So it was like four day trips every other weekend um, which kind of just allow, allowed us to, to be together for a team, like not have too many distractions and be able to take care of business when we needed
0: to. Nice. Do you remember that playoff run? Obviously, had a pretty special team, but what was it like? Uh, Can West playoffs, and then going into CIS, Were you guys feeling like you could really do some damage and put it together? Yeah,
2: we, we felt we felt really confident all year. We we finished eighteen and zero in the regular season. I think we lost it was maybe five or six sets the whole season. Um so then at that time you you finish first in the Canada West you get a bye through the Canada West quarters and you host the Final Four and then we were also hosting Nationals so we knew we were going to be at that tournament so those last couple weeks of the season we knew we were going to play at home we knew we were feeling pretty good going into playoffs and that team that year was by far the best team I played on top to bottom Uh, the guys that we had were incredible players really good teammates and I guess in our Canada West semi and final, and the three games at Nationals, we didn't lose a set. So we uh, we played really well, and it was really cool to be able to do that on home court in Edmonton.
1: Now, do you still have your National Championship ring?
2: I still do. It's it's in my sock drawer, I believe. But I, sometimes when I'm running low on socks, when I haven't done laundry in a while, I get a little peek of it at the bottom of the drawer. <laughs> You
1: bring it to the top of the jaw it's just one of those, <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's got some weight to it, I'll it's tell a, you that. It's a, it's a big ring.
0: <laughs> and now, I'll say this as for our listeners, but really it's for me. Uh, let's name drop some of the players you played with. You said it was a very special team. Was Ben Saxon in Alberta that time? So that
2: Ben Saxon was a third year, so he was the starting left side. Uh, Mike DiRocco was our starting setter. Joel Schmulin, the, the bearded menace, as he was nicknamed. Uh,
0: he grew the beard all year because you were at Nationals, Exactly. Right? He, beard and he started. It, we right?
2: knew we were hosting, so I think September 1st, he clean shaved his face and didn't touch it until after Nationals. It's so a early man. He was, he's, a, he's a big dude, big human. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who else do we have? Tim Gourlay, very, very steady, consistent left side, very good ball control guy. Um, by the end of the year, we had Thomas Yarmouk was the left side coming off the bench. Ended up playing four seasons for Champions League teams in Europe, so had guys like that. Spencer Lyski in the middle, who to this date hits one of the hardest balls I've I've seen live. Um, Justin Murda, good BC middle, who is just one of the, the better blockers that I've, I've played with. Um, Tanner Nault was on the bench. Jason Dorocco on the bench, so we so had a...
1: Some national team guys on the bench.
2: It, it was a pretty deep deep lineup and so it it just made our training sessions competitive so we were playing across the net against guys who played five six years pro national team so it was was very cool to be in that gym.
1: So you win a national championship your first year you come back to Toronto where you're from did uh, did any Ontario coaches try and stick their hand in the honeypot and and, schmooze you to transfer in?
2: Uh, I can't remember any specific instances but I I'll say with that most confidence, if anyone would have tried, I would have said I'm more than comfortable where I am, so <laughs> I thank you, but uh, no thanks. Thanks, but no
0: thanks. So you just touched on it with like national team players on the bench, so that actually wasn't unusual that provincial team players shirt at Alberta, so what was it like in practice, how many bodies would you guys keep, like how, how competitive was that environment, because like you said, there was guys not in your starting six who could be starting at other schools probably, so mm-hmm. the scrimmages in practice probably got pretty gnarly at certain points, right?
2: Yeah, so I think that year, we I think we had maybe 22, 23 on the roster. So we had a lot of bodies in the gym, which allowed us to have two, three courts going, depending on what we needed to work on and get done. Um, but yeah, like when once we got into six-on-six, six, it was, I'll have to say, at some times it felt like a lot of our practices were better than a lot of our matches, competition-wise. So we it was just really fortunate to have that amount of high-quality volleyball players and it just it allowed our, our team to to raise our level to to where we needed to be to win nationals.
0: Nice so from coming through with Alberta where you mentioned a lot of names there go on to play professional what was kind of the first hint that that's something you wanted to do and and how did you go about getting an offer getting an agent like kind of walk us through what happened after graduation.
2: I think it probably would have been around my third or fourth year where some of the guys that I played with at U of A got contracts and went overseas. It kind of opened that uh, train of thought to start thinking that maybe that's something that I might be able to do. Um, and I was very fortunate after after Nationals in my fifth year. Um, Terry called me into his office and, and told me that he's received uh, interest from a Bundesliga team in Germany. And so started talking with them. and. Ended up signing the contract just at the start of my my last semester of exams. So that made studying... uh,
1: You made me motivated. uh, I was motivated to study, (laughs) I will say that.
2: But I I got pretty lucky. Um, You
1: know what they say, C's to get degrees, right?
2: Yeah, but we won't tell that to the younger athletes. Stay in school and work hard. (laughs) 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 But yeah, so that team, which has been renamed now, Avivo Duran. um... Blair Ben was playing there that current year so he was moving on he was gonna he went to play for a team in pro France so thankfully he he had some good things to say about me and um, the managers and some of the the, the, the player manager director of, of Duran knew new Terry so that was an easy way for them to open up the dialogue about the potential uh, chance for me to go there and um, so yeah, my first year I didn't I didn't have an agent, but then after that season, because Blair ended up coming back to Duran after, so when I had my little exit meeting, they said yeah Blair's coming back. I said well I appreciate the year here because I know he's, he's a pretty damn good libero, so I had to had to start looking into other options, and um, so I I signed with LT Volley and Koistra, who's based out of out of Holland. And so he got a bunch of my game film from that year, and then um, thankfully got picked up by SVG Lunenberg, which has had a number of Canadians play there the last couple of years. Ray Zito's been there the last two years. Uh, Tyler Kozlowski's been there for two. Ryan Slater played there this year. Adam Schreimer was there this year. Um, So it worked out with him because the coach there, Stefan, knew of me playing endurance, so it was... Not really necessary. He didn't need any video because he had seen matches throughout that season, and and they made an offer, and and I ended up staying there for two seasons. So that's kind of kickstarted that. So
1: you mentioned a lot of Canadian guys. You actually had the opportunity to play with one of your club teammates, Steve Hunt, professionally. Mm-hmm. What was that like, and how did that like? What did the guys of the team think when you said, "Oh, I've been playing with Steve since I was, you know, sixteen, seventeen years old"?
2: Yeah, that that was really cool. So. With Steve going to Hawaii, he got overseas a year before with only playing four years in the NCAA. So my fifth year at U of A was his first year overseas. He was playing in Greece. And then once I, I signed with Durin, he he gave me a call and mentioned that he's got an offer from Duran, And so we got pretty pretty excited for the potential chance to play together. And uh, once we signed, we uh, we found out that they were going to Give us an apartment together so I, was, I got the chance to live with them for the year. So that also made the transition of moving across the pond to play a hell of a lot easier, knowing that one of my best friends is, is going to be playing and living with me. So it's, it made for a pretty pretty cool first season abroad.
1: A lot of early nights at that with you guys, a lot of books read.
2: A lot of reading, um, a few episodes of Friends, and just just we were. A
1: couple handfuls of munchkins. And a handful of munchkins.
2: <laughs> <laughs> right, <out>. Alex? <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, no, that's great. Uh, Steve's a great guy, and uh, yeah, it uh, it's funny how how those sort of worlds collide, even mm-hmm. overseas, uh, like that. What uh, what's the load like coming from uh, Alberta, where you mentioned? You know, there's twenty two, twenty three guys to to club um, with a pro team. In terms of you know, you, with university, you have to manage school and and uh, weights. And what's the routine and with with pro teams?
2: Uh, I'd say the a pretty general kind of idea of what a week would look like. Two, three weight sessions in the morning between Monday and Friday. One, maybe two, depending on your team, maybe three, either light serve and pass practices in the morning and then full team practice every night. So I guess you could kind of expect or ballpark it around maybe Six ish hours of volleyball-related stuff a day, whether that's weights, serving, pass practice, your physio, your recovery, and then obviously your, your team practices and evenings.
1: So it's pretty pretty on par, you'd say, with what you had at, uh, at Alberta.
2: Uh, pretty similar, yeah. But then you don't have the stresses of school and those other things in the back of your mind. So that's like I guess what they say when you're playing over there: it's you, you treat it as a job, right? right. So you, you got to be ready for for whatever you need to do to get the job done. So what would
0: you do to kind of fill your free time? Because I know when you're winning, I'm sure the highs are really good and you're feeling it, but when you're losing, you're probably not getting messages from home. Coach probably isn't too happy with you guys, so you're not like enjoying the morale of the team. Like, what do you guys do with all that free time if you're really only committing to one or two activities a day?
2: Um, I found um, that I was really lucky to be around a lot of good guys on, on all the teams I got to play for. And you just, you just you try and find things to do to stay busy. Try and find things to kind of take your mind off volleyball because a lot of the times you'll see guys over there, they, they're they over there to play volleyball. They just get so caught up in results and pressures from maybe your manager, the team president, sponsors, with the, the demands to perform well day in, day out, that it's good. You go for lunch with a teammate, go go to the movies with teammates, try and just find things to, to keep yourself busy and just kind of stay calm, cool, collective and find a way to hit the refresh button if you if you need to. Um, yeah, one of my biggest things is just FaceTiming people from home because, again, like, you're you're away. I remember all those calls. <laughs> you got a few of them. Yeah. That's for sure.
1: I think I might have imagined a few of them, but...
2: <laughs> well, we'll make up for it soon. Yeah. Um, like as a
0: foreigner, did you ever feel pressure from a sponsor or the coach or anything like that that your, your contract's kind of on the line? Because you went one year at a time for the most part on your contracts, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. So I played for four different teams uh, with the two years in Lüneburg, um, but yeah, because you feel like you need to do well because you're always trying to fight for that next contract. Um, so I remember my first year, I for, for a good chunk of the season, I was really struggling performance-wise. And so as the thoughts go through your mind, like, am I not playing well enough to the point maybe I'm going to get let go or they're going to bring in another guy to replace me? Um, so those kind of pressures, I might have added a little bit more. To myself just kind of with my I don't want to say hunt for perfection but I have wanted to do well always and um, thankfully I had an American teammate who was a little more, bit more experienced than me played already a couple of years in Europe and he, just, he sat me down I went and grabbed a coffee with him and he said hey man like you just got to one day at a time just keep trying to get better let go of the lows and try and remember the feelings of the highs and and go from there. And I think that was a big, a big turning point for me personally, being able to to let go of the the bad practices, the bad performances, in games, and just try and focus on what can I do today to be better tomorrow. And I think I kind of stuck with that uh, for the rest of the time I was playing in Europe.
0: Nice. So. Um Just to kind of talk specifically about the libero position, you weren't like an outside who transferred later in a career. I think you were like a libero right through club, right through university to pro.
1: Career Um, guy. Career
0: guy. Um, What would you kind of say to a younger athlete who wants to be a libero? Like what really helped in your development? What are things that you really like to focus on in like the the tactical prep of a game? Like what kind of goes into being so specialized and so good at what you did?
2: I would say you just kind of have to have almost like a cocky attitude to... Look across and then be like, You will not score against me. Um, you see some of the best liberos in the world who you can just tell from their posture, their body language, that if, if they're going to score a point against them, you're going to have to work for it. And so, just some of the guys that I've played against and played with, being Tyler at U of A, playing against and, and seeing Blair Band play so much, playing against Skrubenikov in, in Germany. Like, those guys, they're the reason why why liberos are are kind of one of the the toughest positions to play mentally, physically, because the only stat you can get on a stat sheet as a libero is your passing numbers and your errors, your receiving errors. So right then and there, a libero's best plus minus is zero, whereas if you're an outside you have a bad game attacking-wise, you can make it up maybe blocking, serving, that sort of thing. But with a libero, you have to be able to stay mentally focused the whole game, and you, you might have a really good game, but you'll look at a stat sheet and it'll say minus two. So I think um, some of the best guys I've played with and against are just guys who can just stay focused and just always ready. So I've just been trying to learn from them and implement some of the things they do in their game.
0: It is a pretty unique position, like you said, because you can't get a big kill, you can't get a big block. Like, the physical outlet of the position doesn't really allow for it. So, do you have any tips on how you manage your emotions? Like, maybe maybe you didn't pass the ball very well and you kind of know you're going to be targeted. Like, how did you kind of navigate those situations?
2: Um, one thing I would say is just, you, since you can't finish a rally or get the big kill, as you said, you just you try and hype up your teammates. Like maybe they make a really nice play off a of bad pass that you made and it's like, Hey, thanks man, like way to fix that, like nice shot, or or something along those kind of lines. And I found that being able to to celebrate with your teammates who are the ones getting the kills, getting the blocks, getting the aces, it just also it helps them give them a little bit of confidence. But then the more you're investing into your teammates, it it allows you to stay focused for each point of a match, so I think being able to just find ways, even if it's not involved in the point or the play, find ways to stay involved to keep yourself engaged and keep your teammates around you involved and know that they can trust that you'll be there when they need you.
1: So coming from the international game on the beach side, there's, uh, there's a lot of back and forth and there's a lot of mental games that, that players like to play with each other. Um, and that sort of shows up uh, sporadically in the university game here in Canada. When you would make a big play, you make a pass, you know, you, you, you got a guy's number, you make a big dig. You throwing any chirps at him through the net? And if you do, what's what's the sort of, what's the go-to language you're throwing out there?
2: Well, I guess right from the get-go, I'm already three meters off the net because you got to stay in the back rows, LeBron. Yeah, no one's but. coming
1: after you. You <laughs> yeah. got a green light to say what you want, pretty much. I just
2: mean, usually I have three big guys in front of me, <laughs> so I got a pretty good first line of defense. Um, but yeah, I just I think if a guy makes a nice, nice attack and you can you can put it in the air, and if your team transitions that ball, it's a little, little bit of a stare down. Maybe I tended to use that one quite often. Sometimes you flex on them. Sometimes the Matumbo finger wave, like, no, not today. I've, I've used that a few times. Um, yeah, but I guess like the verbal thing isn't really the, the best way to go because you might be saying it across the net to some guy that doesn't speak English. <laughs> so, <laughs> it, might, it might not really work out the way you intend Or are you, to. You, you surprise them with uh, some Dutch
1: and then they'll be even more confused.
2: Yeah, I guess that might throw them off as well. <laughs>
1: Uh, it's funny when, when I come to events like like Nationals and, and you see the the culture of kids and, and you realize even though we're not that far removed, the culture of the game really likes to stay the same. You were a big shoe guy in university and I walk around here and I see all the guys here mainly wearing basketball shoes instead of volleyball shoes. You were one of the first guys to sort of have that swagger about you. What was your favorite pair of shoes that you wore and... Uh, What's your favorite player shoes now?
2: The, f- the first taste of, of basketball shoes I noticed was when University of Southern California came up to us and then being a Nike school, they cruise into the gym, USC, Nike, everything. Luggage, they, they got winter jackets just probably for their trip to Edmonton because <laughs> they wouldn't need those in LA. It was July. Okay, it was October, but (laughs) pretty close to July, a few months, but who's checking, right? And the whole team had Nike ID, Kobe 4s. And so that Christmas when I went out... heat? They were fire. And those were the first basketball shoes I went out and bought when I came home for Christmas. Those were a a mom and dad Christmas present. And those were by far my favorite pair of shoes. So that's my first year. Wore them for the second semester. And since then I've just always been a Nike guy. KDs, I like those. The Kyries are really good. Um, but yeah, you see you see walking around nationals there, they're, these shoes, these last shoes, they're getting pretty loud.
1: They're getting pretty loud. They're they're starting to look a lot like moon boots. The uh, these kids are looking a lot like astronauts out here. They're
2: you're not wrong. <laughs> I do have to say though, that I think the way that it's been seeming to look around here in Nationals this weekend. The sock game is is in shambles. We're, <laughs> we're, we're, we're in a, we're in, a tough we're in spot. dire straits right now. We're here. in a tough tough spot right now with the socks. Um, but that's an easy fix, you know. Just go with an all white pair of Nikes in your you're, you're all fine. good.
1: Um, so I'm gonna come, come back to your your pro uh career. You've had some interesting experiences as uh, as a lot of players do overseas, but this one was sort of out of your control. Um, for those of you that don't know, Eric had a, I don't even know if you want to call it a visa issue. It was more like a, a mail handling issue with, uh, with what your do- your government documents.
2: Yeah. So, uh, I'll get into it a little bit here. So it was my fourth year playing overseas and you can only be in the EU without a visa for 90 days before you have to leave. And if you're caught over there past your 90 days without a visa, it can be pretty costly to you financially and it can disrupt your chances of going back to the EU to play for for a number of years. So what happened was I needed to get uh, police checks from the countries I've lived in the previous three years in order to get my work visa. And so I had to get one done from Germany and an invoice came to my club offices and they somehow missed that piece of mail.
1: Hopefully that intern got fired. (laughs)
2: <laughs> if he's still working there, he's probably in like a, a janitor position now. Or he's he, the new libero on the team. <laughs> or he maybe just wanted me out. Um, so yeah, so I got up to 84 days in the EU without a visa. And their solution to that was go through the same process again to get my German police check, but I had to leave the EU. So I got in a van with, with a guy who didn't speak a word of English. I got the president's credit card because this was on them, so I wasn't paying anything out of my pocket for for their mess up. And I went down to Croatia, which was, since it's outside of the EU, it's in the Schengen Union, and initially was told, Eric, you'll be down there for maybe a week. But fast forward three weeks, I was still down there, (laughs) um, which was a a very, very tough few weeks because I was only speaking English if I was FaceTiming friends and family to complain about how crappy the situation was. And eventually I got to go back back up, and I played a game two days later, but now I was at 89 days in the EU, and by this point my Canadian police check had expired. So I thought, well, this is it, I'm going to end up in some prison in Europe and I don't know what's going to happen. So then the next step was they, they booked me a flight, uh, flew back to Toronto and had to go through the process of my Canadian police check and German police check. Toronto's outside the EU, right? It's uh, just outside the EU, okay. I believe, yeah. <laughs> but I, I think that the positive out of it was I got to, to be home with my family for my birthday and Christmas. So I, I hold on to that positive so I can forget about the whole rest yeah. of that.
0: So how many league games did missing this invoice for your German police check cost the club?
2: It, I missed eight matches because I was home for home for almost all of December and in Croatia for three weeks of November.
0: That's that's insane that uh, you're missing a, a foreign starting player on your team because you couldn't find an invoice for paperwork. Like that's that's insane. I think that happens
1: a lot in the NHL and the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to call that part for the course, you know?
0: <laughs> so because it wasn't on you, obviously, when you returned to the club, was everything fine and you kind of just stepped right in for the
1: second half of the season? Were
2: you bitter at all
1: when they were like, hey, why don't you just come
2: back? It, honestly, it ended up getting to the point where I was just happy to be on the court again because it was almost two months without playing a match for a team that I signed for to play for for the whole season. Um, but I felt like for the rest of the year, if I had any other kind of issues, I was... I was in the driver's seat and had some pretty heavy leeway so uh so dinner was on them for the rest of the year so i I might have milked it a little bit but i'm just going to say rightfully so
1: (laughs) (laughs) and uh and you're not playing overseas anymore obviously you're here Mm -hmm. back in toronto giving back to the game uh what i know that you battled injuries for a little bit uh what was the sort of the the determining factor that uh, you know we we all we all have one. What was it for you that you just said you know what I need to take a step back uh, back now and uh, and I'm not going to ha- sort of look for that that contract again?
2: Uh, I think it would have started just before heading over to the Netherlands um, was when my back issues kind of reached a whole new level, um, but I knew I was capable of playing at a high level, so I. I dealt with the pain, dealt with all the things that come with a an injury because I, I just I wasn't ready to stop playing. Um, it was a very very difficult season physically in Holland. The volleyball was good. We had a had a pretty good season, um, but upon returning last summer, the the questions of is it worth it to put my body through this much pain, to battle through maybe one or two more seasons, or do I start thinking? it also might be pretty good to be able to walk up a flight of stairs in 10 years. So it's easily one of the hardest decisions I've made in my life, if not the hardest. But as time goes on now, and my body's feeling a lot better. and You look good. I appreciate that, Dallas. You look great as well. Not wrong there. <laughs> so now I, I've started to get some closure with, with having to make that decision, and as, as time goes on, I... I'm realizing more and more that it was the right decision. Yeah, albeit how hard it was to make that choice, but um, but feeling good now, so it's good. Things are on the upswing.
1: It's good to see. uh, It's good to see you. Obviously, it's good to you know we've been friends for for a while, and uh, you know I'd always be excited to have you back for the summer. Uh, So it's good to see you now. It's good to see that you're giving back to uh, to the game here, obviously coaching, and uh, you know really appreciate you coming on with us.
2: No, thank you. It's been fun. Happy to be
1: here.
0: Um, so you've got big plans coming up this fall. You're actually going to return to U of A. Uh, so what are you looking forward to there? You're going to be involved with the volleyball program, I understand?
2: Uh, yep, so I've been been in talks with, with Terry Daniluk and the, the new coach, uh, Brock Daviduk about finding ways and in what capacity I can be involved with the Golden Bears program. Obviously, five years, that, that meant a hell of a lot to me, so it's going to be nice to be out there be around the guys and hopefully be able to instill some of the things I've learned through my volleyball career to them
1: making sure kids don't wear the wrong socks and shoe combination
2: that'll be important that'll be that's important. one of the most important things
1: and you're going to study
0: as well right you're going to further your education
2: yeah so that's that's the that's the the prime reason why I'm heading back out there um I left to go play overseas before I graduated so now that I'm home settled back in it's it's time to to close that chapter so I have uh, just under two years left to finish my kinesiology degree and also get my education degree. It's very exciting mm-hmm. and uh,
0: I think some club kids are going to benefit or maybe some high school kids. Are you going to be involved with some youth stuff?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to to doing some some uh, some clinics and camps uh, through Brock Davideck's company. Um, he does a Setters Academy, so being able to work with some of the, the Edmonton club athletes there. And then also a good buddy of mine, Ken McLaughlin, owns a company called Pursuit Volleys, and this past summer when I was out there, I ran a two-day libero clinic. Um, and had a great time out there. Um, great facilities at U of A, at the Salvo Center. So I'll be doing some stuff with him, so we're in talks about doing that. He's here coaching uh, a team from Edmonton, so we've been able to connect him and touch base on what we want to do. Um, and yeah, just again, main focus is to to get school finished, but I don't think there's a an ounce of me that doesn't see volleyball being a big part of my life for for the foreseeable future so being able to get back to the Edmonton and Alberta athletes is something that I'm excited to be
1: that's a good point so anyone of our listeners from the Edmonton or, or we'll say Alberta area please do go and uh, go and check out Pursuit Volley uh and Eric it uh he's got a ton of knowledge here and uh you know you'll obviously benefit from uh from his expertise
0: Yeah, so that was Pursuit Balling. Sorry, what was Brock's? He's going to setter academy. Setter academy, yeah. Okay, perfect. So So definitely check those out. We'll put that in the show notes for everybody to find. Uh, Yeah, those those athletes are definitely lucky to have you and we've been lucky to have you for as long as we have, but uh, we'll let you go. I think uh, we'd love to have you back on, but I think this is an awesome start and we've taken enough of your time for today.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much, guys.
0: Friends of the show, this is Passing Dimes' first pledge drive. We're not asking you to telephone. We're asking you to tell a friend we got to spread the message about what Passing Dimes is all about.
1: What do you like? We know what you like. You like podcasts. You like volleyball. You like friendship. Guess what? That's Passing Dimes. If you like what you've heard today and uh, you like other episodes, be sure to subscribe to us on Podbeam, Apple Play, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, be sure to click our link to our Instagram page to check out snippets from the show and uh, subscribe on Podbeam. Be sure to give us a FIV five-star major review thing. Five stars. Five stars. Five star.
0: Five star major.